Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr, a News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. Hello there and welcome to Life and Leadership with me, Bobby Kerr. I've been in business a long time and luckily I've had some success, but it hasn't always been roses and fairy tales. There's a journey to every success story and that journey has its ups and downs and plenty of crazy moments. For this series, I'll be sitting down with some well-known and highly respected people from the world of business to talk about their journey to success. I'll be traveling the country to their homes, office, or even a gym to hear about their inspirations, dreams, regrets, risks, and lots more. So come with me on this journey of life and leadership. Please follow and subscribe to get a new episode delivered to you every week. My guest for this episode is a young businesswoman who's had incredible success in the cosmetics industry. At just 30 years of age, her award-winning brand, sculpted by Amy, has seen its profits more than double year on year, and she recently opened a flagship store on Dublin's busiest shopping destination, Grafton Street. It was in this store that I caught up with Amy Connolly. We sat down on the first floor in her shop, surrounded by mirrors and makeup brushes, to talk life and leadership. Now, Amy, we're here in Grafton Street. It's the holy grail for all retailers. You've finally arrived here. Tell us about uh, why Grafton Street uh, and getting here, getting your presence onto this street is so important to you. So Grafton Street was an idea that I had at the start of 2022. You know, you're mixing up all your years now, but 2022. We had kind of come out in this like post-COVID year. We were still actually emerging out of it. And I really wanted to elevate where our flagship would be. So we're very lucky to be stocked in amazing stockists around the country. But the limitations when you're stocked in places like that is that we can't have a bespoke sculpted artist with those customers all day, every day. And the in-store ambassadors do a phenomenal job, but they obviously have a lot of brands they're dealing with. So there's two things that I wanted. Firstly, to have a destination where you can come and have a bespoke sculpted ambassador speak to. Kind of have a full circle moment in that I worked on Graffin Street 10 years ago as an artist in BTs. So really wanted that heritage for my brand. And secondly, I needed to have an additional level to the building so that I could offer all the events that I really wanted us to do. Because you're limited when you only have one floor for retail space. Yeah. It's very busy, which is great. But for us to do events, masterclasses, really stand out from what we can offer in other stores, we needed to have the space. And the only destination to give us that was Grafton Street. And it's great to see the upper floors being used here and used productively. Yeah. So four floors, busy out. Obviously, yeah. two only customer facing. But the additional space is so warranted, especially with the, the size of the team here alone. Let me bring you back a few years. Uh, your journey uh, to where you are now in this very shop started at the age of 16. Uh, tell us about that. You, I think your first gig was maybe work experience yeah. in House of Fraser in Dundrum. Yeah, even though I was a very studious child, I was very late at organising work experience and my mother nearly killed me. So she was like, get into House of Fraser there and see if they'll take you. She was managing on the third floor at the time and Benefit did. And I always remember the benefit manager went in their break and was like, you're not allowed to touch a customer's face. You know, you're not insured. You're only work experience. So the minute she was off, I was like, sit down there now and I'll try on all these products on you. And I realized that I absolutely loved selling, but I also loved makeup. And it kind of went from there. Yeah. 
You mentioned your mum there. You have a very close relationship with your mother. What did she say to you when you floated the idea of starting your own brand? In fairness, my mom is one of the biggest go-getters you've ever met in your life. Like she took a massive career shift when she was in her late 40s or 50s, which for some people is unheard of. And she just is like, yeah, I'm talking about my 10 year business plan. And she's in her mid 60s. Like she has absolutely no end in sight. So she's always said to me, what's your love? If it makes you happy, why don't you try it? What's your love? Why don't you go for it? So always a soft kind of subtle push and and motivation slash inspiration for me to go on with things. But at the same time, also half the time doesn't really know what I'm doing and kind of thinks it's all a bit mad. (laughs) So she worked in pharma. Am I right? Now she's an estate agent. Exactly. Yeah. I remember her literally studying when I was studying. No way. Doing her property exams. Yeah. Isn't that great? (laughs) Um, Just about uh, your, 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 how important is your experience as a makeup artist? Because you went all through college, you worked in makeup, you always had a a side gig there, but your experience in working on the floor, in, you know, in sculpting people's faces, all the way up, how important is that when it comes to like product development? I would say now six years into the brand that it's absolutely crucial to the point that I don't think I would ever go into a brand of a subject that I wasn't an expert in because like you take for granted makeup is so detailed you've got I won't go into detail in terms of technically now but like undertones which you don't fully get until you have the eye or the experience from previous faces that you've done or you know matches that you've had with skins coming in and all different features so I would say it was absolutely crucial but also from an experience and confidence point of view when you're dealing with so many customers on a shop floor or a counter and I would always say to my students if you can try get experience there because there's nothing like it you're dealing with all walks of life with any sort of request possible and you have to be able to manage it so when you kind of come with that experience it was also really good for me to go okay all these people are kind of asking about this there must be a solution in that with the product yeah do you know walk us through the process of uh i suppose coming up with a a line of makeup or a brush or whatever it is to basically executing that Mm. here on high street um, it's a very long process. And what I would say is there are issues all of the time that yeah. would nearly send you grey if you didn't have your wits about you. Um, so typically starts at one of our partners uh, in terms of factories. I might have an idea that I write down on my notes at 3am. One of the team might bring an idea and say this would be great. One thing that we like to always solidify is we're in a massively busy, saturated market. So we're constantly asking ourselves, why would you buy us instead of someone else? And it can be various things like a multi-purpose nature built into a product. It could be that we make it easier via our education and community or it could be our price point. So you'll typically start with that. You'll have lots of back and forth in terms of prototyping because it's one thing getting the formula right. It's a whole other ballgame getting the component right. Right. And component might have to be made separately. You might have to do stability tests. There's there's a whole potentially 12 to 18 months built around just that process. Is that right? And I always remember when I was doing my first product and I was so naive and I just adored the process of the formula and the finish and the consistency. I knew exactly what I wanted. And then I really had this moment of like, oh my God, when I was coming out of a buyer's meeting going, I now have to make sure that this sells. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole second phase. So product will arrive, enter the warehouse, and then you have to look at your execution strategy. So how it's actually arriving on shelf, like the technicalities and the stands you see in Zors is like no other. Like it would actually make your head spin. It's mad the detail that goes into it. You obviously have the sell in point and then you have the kind of customer facing, be it events, I don't know, online, yeah. filming centres. 
Um, you mentioned naivety there. Did, 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 were you taken seriously as a young woman or did anyone ever really take advantage of you in those early days? Yeah, I would say overall my experience has been really positive. And I think it's down to a few things like me kind of never second guessing myself because it's been my area of knowledge. So I'm like, oh yeah, of course I know what I'm doing, even if I don't. Um, secondly, it's predominantly run by women. So you rarely have that situation where you might feel inferior Obviously, we all have a bit of imposter syndrome at different times. But at the very beginning, my first manufacturer, I always say, was the one experience that if I was ever to linger on would be the one where I wasn't treated with immense respect. I think they kind of saw me as this young 22-year-old with not much of a clue. And they weren't wrong, but I also knew what I was doing at the same time. And I just felt I wasn't getting the same level of professionalism or kind of work ethic as other clients and I was paying a premium price for, yeah. for the product I was buying and I always remember flying over saying you know if you guys don't change your attitude like I'm gone and I'm gonna find my own factory and it was a bit like you know little girl like you yeah. haven't really a clue and to, the next month I was off in South Korea and we still work with that partner and would, would that have been your biggest mistake in the early days yeah definitely right. I feel like you see it's hard because at the same time, the EU regulation is really hard to navigate for your first round. So I was happy in that they were a great partner with super knowledge of regulations and all the things that I needed to learn and expedite my learning on. But I suppose long term, they wouldn't have been the best partner, but it all worked out for the best because it forced me to go and make sure that I found a really good network of suppliers that I wanted to work yeah, with. Yeah, And when it comes to, again, on the product development line, like if you've developed something for, I don't know, blushers, lips, do you move, do, is, is the natural product extension to go to another part, to eyebrows or ears or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah, uh, ears are number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, and it's funny you mentioned brows. It is by far our most requested because it's the only thing really in the makeup bag that we're not touching on yet in terms of range so that's definitely on the cards right for anyone listening and wondering um but yeah you kind of naturally move around the makeup bag but to be honest we very much get instant feedback from our community and i don't say the word community in like this cliche wholesome way like we genuinely have an amazing relationship with a super loyal base of followers so they are very in tune with giving us direct feedback on what yeah. they want we've often made products in line with them so it's a bit of both i wanted to ask you about that and and the sort of pressure you bring on yourself by having your name printed on every product mm. and so much of you is tied up even personally in this brand yeah. does that bring its own pressures um <clears throat> i would say that i am someone who doesn't overthink things i've always been like that even when i was starting the business it was my number one positive benefit to being able to start it was that i wasn't overthinking it so even now around like the pressures of me being personally so involved of me being online the whole time like if I feel I need to take a time out, I will. And I really love what I do. Like, I am obsessed with work. So at the moment, it's totally fine for for what I'm doing. And I think, you know, people often say, God, you have amazing confidence putting your name on the brand. To me, it was just like, I am doing this and I'm all in. Like, I've been doing every area and obviously now the team has grown, which is amazing. So I can step back from some things, but why wouldn't I put it over yeah. there? And I wanted to ask you about the power of digital in this business because it's a real example of, you know, just something selling products so differently than the traditional way. All the stuff you do on Instagram, you know, as you say, your followers, mm. that, that the, 
the sales and marketing drive is so much through social than any other platform. And, and again, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Yeah, I would say if you are someone who has a business where you're selling something and you're not online, you need to sort it out. Yeah. It is 100% the way forward and has been paving the way. When you think about it, Sculpted started six years ago. Instagram was kind of like newish, but wasn't a huge thing in terms of like actual selling or merchandising. Um, and I would say that I started with a small pool of followers, but never to the extent that I thought, happy days, I'm going to launch a brand now and Instagram was going to sell it for me. Like I knew I was going to have to work very yeah. hard from the back end, which I was really excited about. But social media is amazing in so many ways, but it's always changing. So it can literally be a full-time job. Like we have three people internally just for social media. Yeah. Because it's so much time, it's relentless, it's, you know, where you speak to followers, so you constantly have to be on and we like to maintain approachability, etc. But it's a brilliant tool, number one, for feedback and number two, for education. Yeah. And that's massive for us. So like, if we launch a product, I can literally come on stories, talk you through every ingredient in it, show you exactly how to use it, show a tutorial on my mom, on a younger person, on someone my age, like you're seeing all angles. So yes, there are some negativities to social media in the sense of, overuse or maybe you know showcasing things that aren't natural and maybe not promoting the best way of self-confidence but overall I think it's an amazing tool and the, the, the pressure of you to be the centerpiece mm. of the social media platform is that relentless yeah it is but again it's <clears> up <throat> to me to kind of go I'm going to have a weekend off social now to take time so yeah I would be lying if I said that my fiance John didn't sometimes you know, try and tug the phone out of my hand being like, come on. Um, but mm. overall, I just really see the benefit of it more yeah. so than anything else. And you see it in the sales, I presume. Totally. yeah. So absolutely. when you go on, and I saw you on even over the weekend <laughs> at your best friend's 30th yeah. birthday party in your green dress. And, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I also know when to come off. Do you yeah. know when you're having a few drinks, it's like, right, phone away now so I don't regret anything tomorrow. Um, it is. And it's also like, I think people really like people. So when you can show the human behind the brand, be it myself or the team, we do an awful lot of like behind the scenes in our head office, for <clears> example. <throat> people love that because they see the actual tenacity that's gone into a brand instead of it just feeling like a robot that just churns out products yeah how many people are on the team now there are 32 on the team right yeah. and is that growing all the time is it yeah i think we have about six roles <clears throat> of recruitment as we speak right uh, wow. it's bonkers really but great do you consider yourself a good leader amy and what do you think maybe are the qualities that you'd aspire to around leadership yeah i would hope that i would be considered a good leader by the team i think you know, I often kind of berate myself going, oh, was it the right or wrong thing to do? But I have never worked in another company. So I've never had exposure to chain of command, to what a certain role might do to, you know, so often I'm hiring these roles, Googling the job spec going, what exactly would yeah. this person do outside of what I want them to do? Um, but I think it's played to my advantage because the culture in the business is very much from day one of me being, you know, very involved in it. I think I'm a very open person. I think I will gladly say to the team, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling stressed, not to the point of putting a burden on them, but also allowing them to hopefully come forward yeah. if they're feeling the same, because it's very fast paced in a startup. Do you believe in leadership by example, as in getting down and getting 100%, in there? Yeah. And I would like to say that I think if anyone was to say anything against me, the one thing they could never say is that she didn't work hard yeah. because, you know, I'm often there, the latest, the earliest. And that's not necessarily the mark of 
being really good in business but I think you know I'm definitely not a leader that's not around or that people don't see the face of where I think you know oh she's off having a great time and we're here slogging away and it's very much a team effort so I think yeah definitely lead by example I think I am very fair but I also think that I probably have huge expectations but I've always had expectations even on myself and I think that comes part and parcel probably with being an entrepreneur like even in school I wanted all A's in college I wanted the first in business I want to be the best do you know so so you're you're internally driven yes yeah and sometimes maybe too externally (laughs) driven to everyone um but I always say above all like when people talk about like you know your legacy whatever that might be um at the base of it all, even though we've worked hard and hopefully we continue to have many successes, and I often say that's the team in terms of them as people, I just want to be nice mm-hmm. and stay nice. Do you know? And that's really simple. Yeah. Like, and often I think people that's would a say nice quality me, uh, because uh, decency can't be yeah. overstated in business. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, no, you're right. Who's your biggest advisor, Amy? Who do you listen to the most? Um, it's funny. I've kind of been very lucky with a network of people that I could tap into and have coffee with or you know, um, maybe seek advice or ask their question on experience on something. Um, but I've probably never had one direct mentor, but there have been lots of pockets of people along the journey that I yeah. can that I can pull on. And maybe it's different people for different times. This is it, exactly. Yeah. I think the different stages of business requires different conversations. Um, been very lucky to be involved in the um, EY Entrepreneur of the Year. And even through that, like the network is massive in terms of business people. It was probably the most business thing I've ever done. Um so great Will people we see in Singapore this year? Potentially. Yeah, yeah fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed for us all. <laughs> um, tell us about your downtime, Amy. Do you have downtime and what do you do in your downtime? Yeah, like I would say <clears throat> I never fully switch off, but that's not, you know, a real negative thing. It's just that your ideas are always cooking and sometimes actually when you are a little bit more relaxed about work is when the creativity flows. So I love, say, being on an airplane or a train because it's where my brain will literally dump everything down onto a page of maybe ideas that I couldn't think of when I was too involved in the to-do list a few days before. Um, I love exercise. So I love walking, run a bit. Sometimes I hate the runs, but I still do it. Uh, Do a few gym classes. I absolutely love hanging out with my friends. I think I've always been known to try and maximise every hour of my day. So although I might work a million hours, I'll also socialise for a million hours. And you have friends from the early days still? Yes. Yeah. So even like three or four of my bridesmaids were in primary school with me. So yeah, we've had a very close group. It also comes from being an only child, I think. Like friends are so important to me. So even you referenced the my friends 30th and the weekend, that's my absolute best friend, almost like a sister. So yeah, super important for me to keep up friends. Do, do, you, do you think only children are different? Yeah, it's funny. I don't know any different, so I don't know. But like, I know they have a reputation of being uh, spoiled. I would say the opposite. I think my mum is spoiled. I think I spoil her. Um, but I also feel like you're probably a bit more independent because you've had to be. So probably without realising or subconsciously, I'm a bit like that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, bridesmaids there. You're getting married to John <laughs> in France this year. Um, John Green, uh, 
are you allowed to talk about him or does he allow you to talk about him? Yeah, I would say John doesn't love the spotlight. It was funny, we got asked to do uh, a cover of a magazine for the wedding and I was like, I don't think you understand who I'm marrying. It's like, absolutely, he would have none of it. But you know, the balance is great. Like John works for himself. He's involved in one of the franchises for Camille Thai. He's got Brody four Sweeney. of them, has he? Yeah, yeah himself wow. and two of his business partners. So it's a brilliant balance in that he understands, you know, the work. He, he used to work hard too. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, what they've done is amazing with their four restaurants and they get the long hours and, you know, the work that goes into it. But also the fact that he's not massive on social media is nice because he's kind of so out of it that he's like, just get off the phone. It's yeah. You know, let's just focus on Why this. Why would you so. be doing that? Yeah. So getting married in France, are you excited about that? Yeah. Clearly you are. But, yeah, uh, I think it'd be lovely. Like, I love a party. So I think that's what I'm so excited about, having everyone together, like friends, family, Probably the one time you'll have all the people in your life that you want there. Who's going to do your makeup? I'm going to do it myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you know right. what? Like, I wouldn't have the patience to sit in someone's chair for an hour. <laughs> I would be like fidgeting up and down, get me out of here. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. Um, you've also launched in Dubai. Um, why the Middle East um, before the States? Or I presume the States is on the list. The States is on the list, but the States is such a big project yeah. that everything needs to be ready for it. So the Middle East as an area is a slightly lighter load to launch in. Um, the retailer actually approached us. So it was an opportunity that was presented to us rather than us trying to seek out the right buyer, um, which we're really excited about. And I think as a market... I mean, they adore cosmetics. It's so huge over there. Obviously, slightly different trends like you'll find in every different market. Um, But we're really excited and we know that kind of Western international brands perform really well over there. Um, so we're actually What's going your route to, to market there? It's a local retailer, is it? So we have a distributor right. into a local retailer. We'll also have an online presence as okay. well. Yeah, so I think for us, the omni-channel approach is definitely the winner. And I think it's very important that we show up in a way that we would in any market wherever we go. Um, so we're actually going over to do press for that launch in about three weeks' time. And do you need people on the ground over there or do you yeah. work through the distributor? Or we're kind it? of figuring that out. Yeah. At the moment, we haven't actually actively hired anyone we've had say various contractors or people doing kind of help with us while we while we get set up and started but I do think you know even when you consider like the slight time difference the different needs that that market might have it's a natural thing that it's going to need presence on the ground yeah uh, you, you still own 100% of the business self-funded yeah right from the start no yeah. big borrowings nothing like that <laughs> is are you comfortable with that is that going to change or will that Will that have to change if you want to get to the level that you actually aspire to? Yeah, I feel like somewhere like the US would have to put pressure on that subject and yeah. say, what is the, the situation here? I think, you know, I am really proud to still own 100%. There's no right or wrong whether you take investment or not. But for me, it's been right for my journey to date with the team. Um, but I would say I'm always keeping an open mind as to what's required because the last thing I want is for the company to be under pressure and not be able to grow in the ways that we want to yeah. because there's no investor on board. Um, but and think, sometimes 80% of a bigger pie can be the route to go, but there's always a time, you're right, to yeah. consider that. And I feel like I'm <clears throat> I'm constantly considering it. It's constantly in my mind. 
Um, and I'll kind of know when the right time is to make that move if it does become the right time. But it's funny, you hear such different sides of people who have played the coin on investment versus non-investment that sometimes it can be so overwhelming to know what the right decision is because everyone has such a personal experience yeah. with it as well. Yeah, well, I think that there is probably no right answer there. But I feel like for me, if or when we do go down that road, it'll be very much about the partner as much as what the offer is. Do you mm-hmm. know, I think we're in a great position in that the company has maintained profitability every year which is super so I think getting investment in just the pure form of finances will be okay I think the partner will be really crucial for us to try and have a bit of guidance on and and like every business COVID brought its challenges what was the effect of COVID on your business it's funny because I hate to say that it was a good time when globally it was not a good time Um, I think for us, when you look at the split of our business, 70% of our business is rooted in distribution. So in our stores and our stockists. And that was tough because even though we were stocked in the likes of pharmacies that were open, you know, people were really buying the nature of our products when... And people weren't going out and they weren't, you know, maybe, you know, using as much makeup as they would have. Exactly. Yeah. But the one thing that really stood to us and that really shone a light on us as a company is that we have always been about kind of skincare makeup hybrids, good for you ingredients, pairing it back. So actually people were reaching for our products over others because they were on Zoom or maybe they had a whole new found interest in their skincare routine or what was going in their skin or, you know, health was a whole different subject again of like, okay, how does this correspond to everything that I do in life? So it actually really propelled us as a business and it allowed us to be really creative. Like within two weeks, I think from March 17th, 2020, we had everything turned on online. We had digital assistants, yeah. we had digital academy. I mean, it was like a whole 360. Yeah. And it's, some of those things will never leave the brand But now. you were able to move quickly as well. Super which is fast. again a good a sign of dexterity, a sign of, yeah. you know, no big corporate structures. Yes, no Just red get tape. get on and get it fixed. Literally. Yeah. The cosmetics industry, it's, you mentioned it earlier, it's, it's hugely competitive. Mm. So why does your brand, Sculpted by Amy, how do, why does it stand out as it clearly does amongst others? I feel like we mm. have hit a lovely kind of niche in the market where we have, say, the quality and the performance of products that would rival any of the premium brands. But our price point is really attractive. So we sit at a substantial kind of better price point than some of them. Yeah, I feel like beyond the product, our whole ethos of pairing it back, making it easier, the fuss-free five-minute face is really attractive to people who are busy. You know, who may have kids, who may be on the go, who may be on the worker commute and just can't afford to spend 45 minutes on their face in the morning. So we try to condense what's in their makeup bag and make it easier via little yeah. kits or multi-purpose products. And then I think the the next layer to that, which is really important to any brand starting now, is the brand personality and the community and what you're doing beyond the product for people. So we're very active with events, be it online, be it in person. Obviously, the Graffin Street store was a huge driver for that. Um, and really making people feel part of the crew instead yeah. of just, I'm buying that and, yeah. and that's it. You've described yourself as a control freak <laughs> at, at, at certain times. And, and is that something that you, maybe as the business grows, that it could be an asset or or indeed it could be a liability. Yeah, definitely the side of the liability for sure. Um, and I would say that I have definitely described myself as a control freak, but with the growth of the team, that's definitely getting less and less. It's just, I find, because I was literally doing everything at the very beginning for that like kind of first year and a half, 
sometimes I have an atrium where I'm like, oh, it's grand, I'll just do it. Like, ah, I couldn't put you out, don't worry about it. And then I'm like, I'm not putting them out because they're paid to do this and it's their job, do you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's part and parcel of me trying to um, release the reins a little bit and realise that actually people are fine to do it um, and also wanting to empower them to do it and also me just getting over the death of like not being involved in absolutely everything anymore. Yeah. Um, advice to young aspiring female entrepreneurs now that you've done and you've a lot you're only halfway on your journey I'd suggest <laughs> but what would you say to young girls maybe uh, you know in, at leaving certain level uh, thinking about what they might do that might just have the 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 burning itch or desire uh, to be an Amy Connolly yeah I think there's a few things I think number one is you have to work hard and that sounds so basic absolutely nothing will come if you're not willing to work hard totally agree if with you, you have an idea and you think oh this would be a great money spinner if you're not in it and your whole heart's not in it it won't happen I think secondly really believe in yourself I think people are very quick at the beginning when you have no substance basis or benchmarks to say I've done this before to go are you mad oh you couldn't do that oh that's mad oh you'll lose money you'll do this you'll do that so I think really back yourself but at the same time have a plan so particularly if you're trying to get involved in something product-led. I always say to people, think about the first buyer that you go and meet to sell that product into. Firstly, no one will sell it like yourself to make sure you stay at the forefront as much as you can. And secondly, have a really good guide of who around you is doing that, if any. And if they're doing it, why are you doing it better? Because the first question, someone who's a new kid on the block who comes into the room, again, with no basis to show this is what I can do and prove to you, is they'll say, why would I buy from you and not someone else? So you have to know that. And it also helps you then really direct what business way you want to go in and what your USP is for customers. So Amy, you might tell us about the no filter hashtag. Uh, Again, this is I assume is about being credible, about being authentic and really not trying to deceive people. That's it, exactly. So we would be very synonymous with the um, hashtag filter free faces. So again, no filter, no Photoshop. Um, I think it's really important. It's kind of stemmed from my early days in makeup where before social media was such a thing for like distorted faces or airbrushed looks or whatever it might be. It was actually at the basis of if you can't see the color of this lipstick because I have a filter on it, what's the point? Because it's makeup. And it's kind of evolved and transformed into the brand's ethos of really promoting real people. And I think it's so important, particularly for the younger generation who have had nothing else but this era of social media where everything is perfected. It might involve fillers, it might involve airbrushing, and it's it's a very unnatural way of being that they think, oh, that's how I have to be, to be yeah. pretty, to be acceptable, to be whatever else. So yeah, it's all built around, I suppose, the self-confidence, the accepting of your true self. And I think a lot more brands are doing it now, regardless of the industry, whether it's body, shape, sizes, ethnicities, diverse colors, you know, facial, whatever it might be. And I think it's really, really important that it maintains like that. And I think it will. I think there's been a massive turning point. The fact that you re- that most of your customer base is like is 50% of the population. There's another 50% out there, men. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's funny. It's a topic that comes up a lot. I feel like it's going to be a growing area, particularly in like the grooming sector. And it's funny, like, say for us and the team, most of our partners are obsessed with, say, Hydroglow and Cloud Cream, which is our serum and our moisturizer. And they're amazing products for everyone of all ages, of all genders. And then people would say, would you not do a men's skincare line? 
or cosmetic line. And it's funny, I always have this battle internally of like, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. That say, for example, if we were to put Hydroglow, which is a lovely pink and rose gold component right now into a charcoal and silver, would you get backlash of putting something in male colours just for the sake of it? I don't know. Right. So I constantly have that thing of like, I would like to do this because I'd like it to be in more men's wash bags because I think it's a really good product for them. And I think they would see a lot of benefit with it. But I'm always a bit cautious around that area of, would you actually get a bit of stick for not just allowing them to use the pink? And it might be it might be one of those markets that you you go gently into almost totally. that, yeah. you know that it because it's it might be one that's that's just prime for explosive growth but it mightn't be either yeah so. and I feel like there's there's been a few points over the last maybe three to four years where people have thought this is the inflection point now and it hasn't fully gotten there do you know men you just have to drag up a bit <clears throat> a bit more to get the products in there yes how do you deal with stress Amy um I think on the exterior, I often feel calm, but I have been known and told by everyone in my life, be it friends, family or colleagues, that I am terrible for hiding what I'm feeling, which is such a bad asset. Like I could sit in a room and you could know most emotion that's on my face just from the one look I give you. Um, So yeah, not good as a poker face, but... I feel like I feel a lot of it in my stomach, in my gut. You know, some people, when they get a bit stressed, they might get short in breath. I feel everything in my tummy. And it has caused a few issues over the years um, in terms of digestion and all that kind of gorgeous stuff. But I think overall, I'm a real talker. I need to think it through. I need to either write it down or talk it through with someone, maybe go for a walk. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said that everything was rosy all the time. You know, I have a lot of stressful moments to the point that actually... A lot of the team wouldn't even see them because there are bigger things that you think about at home that you yeah. don't want to put on them or, you know, they may not necessarily involve everyone on the team that, that need to speak about them. So, yeah, different ways of managing them. Nothing that's ever been to the point of irreparable or, you know, so stressful that I had a really bad phase or anything like that. Just general business stuff that happened all the time. So as the business keeps growing, then is it your plan to step back from micromanaging or? Yeah, I think that's naturally evolved, you know, now with there's like 25 or six people in, in head office alone. So great managers coming out of that and um, great senior team. So to be honest, there's a lot of areas that I just see it at the final point and say, oh, that was a great job or, you know, yeah. oh my God, I haven't had anything to do with this. So yeah, it's all down to the people you have around you. And you've obviously been, because there's only 30 odd of you, you've obviously been close enough to recruiting everybody who's here. Yeah. What do you look for then when you're, when you're, when you're hiring somebody either as a makeup artist or to work on the floor or in sales or marketing or whatever it is? What, what sort of things are you looking for? I am a massive people person. So I will kind of know instinctively of speaking to someone in the first 10 minutes, you know, if I like their energy or if I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. And it's nothing to do with like, say me personally having to physically like and think, oh, she could be my best friend or he could be my best friend. It's more, I think, for the culture of our team where it's a lovely tight-knit team, it's very important that you don't get a bad egg. So I'd be super conscious about, even when you think about the Graffin Street team, they need to be bubbly, they need to be approachable. Our main thing is that people should not come in here and feel intimidated, which is what happens when they go onto a lot of makeup counters. Um, And then from the head office point of view, 
you need to be not afraid of work because like I said, it is very fast paced in a startup. It can be quite overwhelming for some people yeah. and you have to mm. want it, like actually care about it. I think the passion is so important. If people don't view it as something that they really actually care about the result and an end goal of, then it really shows in decisions they're making on behalf yeah. of the business. So yeah, I think being a sound person first and foremost is so important. And then after that, your experience and your yeah. work ethic. <laughs> Who is your legend of leadership? So I'm going to choose two. Right. First being my mum. Right. I think it would be rude not to mention her. She has taught me so much about leadership from a family upbringing, an actual business point of view, and just really going for it and being organized enough to actually manage all the things that you want to do. My second is Sarah Blakely, um, owner of Spanx. Yeah. I think she has been an amazing businesswoman. She only took on investment very late into the company, so I really admire that about her. But above all else, from what I read anyway, she seems like she was such a nice person. So she managed to grow a massive billion dollar company, stay a nice person, have her family and friends, and then finally took investment on in her later days. Two great examples. Can I ask you what advice you'd give to the young Amy Connolly, and you're still young, which is, which is great, <laughs> but the even younger Amy Connolly, what advice would you give to her? I think at the very beginning anyway, to really believe in myself a little bit more. I think naturally when you're in that kind of teen phase, you're questioning yourself all the time. And secondly, to try and not care as much as other people think. I think that is one of my biggest detriments that I still, to be honest, kind of struggle with and need to get better at as the business grows. I need to develop a slightly tougher, thick skin. Um, but at that age, yeah, I was definitely super paranoid about pleasing everyone and making sure everyone you know, liked me or was happy. And sometimes you just cause yourself more stress by doing that. Yeah. So just to relax a little bit, the right people will stay with you. And those that don't, it's okay. Great advice. So Amy, we're here in the suite on the first floor of your wonderful retail operation here on Grafton Street. I, I'm a veteran of Grafton Street. I worked <laughs> on this street for 20 plus years. And, you know, it's an amazing place. You see the seagulls outside, <laughs> you hear the buzz of the street. Um, and there's a, it has its own actual buzz, doesn't it? Totally. Like we often say, it's like you're being treated to a daily concert here because there's usually a busker right outside our window. So when we're doing events in the suite, that's the predominant use of the suite. We wanted to have a bespoke location for masterclasses, hen parties, corporate events, lessons, you name it. Um, because that's really what the selling point of Grafton Street is. It's being able to come and have the full experience, be it with your friend, your mom, your granny, whoever it might be. Um, but yeah, there's always a busker outside literally singing to us. Well, <laughs> I, I'll tell you a story as well about a busker. This is gone, not, not today or yesterday, what? but there was a guy who used to play the saxophone outside uh, our office on Stevens Green and he only had one song when the Saints <laughs> go marching in and that's what he played for eight hours at a go. <laughs> you're and singing then, in your and he's right under your window and you're listening to this guy for eight hours. <laughs> Tough going. <laughs> oh God. Right, why don't we go and have a look downstairs. I'm, I'm really, really interested to see what's happening here from a retail perspective. Absolutely. Great, let's that's do that. Now, Amy, um, we're down here on the on the shop floor. Uh, I know I don't know a lot about makeup, but I do live in a house with five girls. <laughs> so, and there's just me as the sole male there. So, I've seen my fair share of your product coming through the door. But how do you sell makeup and ancillary lines? What what are the key things around the display, around the look and feel of the shop? What what talk us through that? 
So we put a lot of detail and effort into this, obviously being our first kind of high street location of having a very clean feel. So we have to fit a lot of product in, but you don't want it to feel overwhelming to the customer. So for example, like we separated the bays by category. So you've got right. like complexion, skin, face, lip. So it's all segmented so that you go to that one place and you should hopefully find ancillary products, like you said, that feature within that look, face, feature, whatever it might be. However, you have to think about like the eye line. You can see a lot of mirrors. You can yeah. see tissues around the place. People are constantly touching and feeling makeup and swatching. Yeah. So you have to make that process easy for them. But the number one thing, and you can see the team standing in front of us, it is the assistants. Like they'll come in and be like straight away, what shade am I? I don't know what I am. Tell me, tell me everything I need to buy for my whole life. And they'll take your opinion on board. So I think grouping products together, having them with easy eye lines, not making it feel too busy, but making it feel approachable um, and having a super team behind it. And clearly product knowledge from the team here is critical so that they will know what people want. They'll know and they'll be able to sell. So product knowledge, you know, expertise around makeup and ability to sell is really what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. I think first and foremost, like I mentioned earlier, like not feeling intimidated. So feeling like you can actually firstly come into the store and feel welcome. And I think secondly, the expertise come back to, comes back to our focus on education. So whether it's on the actual product packaging that we talk about, three key call-outs, whether it's a team being able to say, oh my God, of course, you've got that skin type. Here's what I recommend for you. And also that, you know, <laughs> even though we're in a retail environment, we're very conscious of not being pushy. So myself and the girls would often recommend that we give you a sample of something to try. So yeah. it's like, we don't need you to really transact right now or put pressure on you to feel like I have to buy everything and you can't leave without it. So making sure that you actually truly like the recommendation or the product first. And how many product lines are we looking at here approximately? We're looking at about 160 here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wild. Each one meticulously researched, developed, <laughs> and brought all the way from wherever it's manufactured. Yeah. yeah. The majority of our line here, about 70% of the products that you see here come from South Korea. Right. Wow. Um, so that in itself is a, is a journey. Um, but they're an amazing factory from a skincare point of view. So again, having that hybrid in our formulas is really, really important to us. Is pink a key color of what you do? Oh my God, how would you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely love pink. I think we celebrate pink and I think it's funny, like even the shop front being so standout is actually brilliant. Like I can see or hear people on the phone going, I'm by the pink shop. And yeah. I'm like, yes, we're officially a landmark on Grafton Street. Well, listen, I want to thank you for your sincerity, uh, for talking to me today, for showing me around the wonderful pink shop that it is <laughs> here on Grafton Street. And we uh, wish you well on your endeavours and wish well to all the team here and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi. An asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life and Leadership with me, Bobby Kerr. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favour and subscribe for more. I can promise you a great guest in next week's episode which features plenty of surprises. Until then, thanks for tuning in.